0: All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton wishing you a very Merry Christmas as we are on this fourth day of Christmas on this December 28th, this last broadcast of 2023 of the Wrestling With Theology podcast, at least the episodes of the studies. We still have the 12 days of Christmas going on throughout for the rest of the weekend, but Here we are looking to dig deeper into the last quarter or third of the 14th chapter of Revelation. We had the three angelic messengers last week. Now we have Jesus sending out the angelic reapers at the end of the world in chapter 14, starting in verse 14. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like the son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came forth from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the great harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia. All right, as we look at these verses, the only thing you can say right off the bat is, yes, this is talking about the last judgment. This is talking about the end of the world. There is nothing after this. And yet we have another eight chapters after this. Because again, that is the cyclical, Semitic understanding that John is using in Revelation to talk about things over and over again so that we have slightly different pictures of them, but all saying the same thing. Very much like the Gospels having different viewpoints, different audiences, different ways of going about things to tell us the story of Jesus. All right, so let's get into this picture. Verse 14, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And we have this idea of the son of man coming back to us from Daniel chapter 7. Or in verse 13, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Or you have Jesus talking in Matthew 24, verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Or in chapter 26, verse 64, when he's talking to Caiaphas. You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then, of course, we have that great promise in Acts chapter 1. Jesus, When Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So we have these promises and these prophecies of Jesus coming back on the clouds. So we have here in verse 14 that picture. Now we get into verse 15. Another angel came out of the temple. Another from the other three that we looked at last week. Calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Leon Morris says in his commentary, The is ripe points to the drying off of plants when the crop is fully ripe. The time for the intervention of him who bore the sickle is not chosen arbitrarily. He puts in the sickle at exactly the right time. Persecuted believers may know that if God's intervention is delayed, this is only because it is not yet the right moment to reap. Reaping is certain as soon as the harvest of the earth is ripe. God says to Abram in Genesis 15, verses 13 to 16, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So, even this prophecy of the slavery in Egypt of the Israelites is one that is to point out that the time is not right, not in Abram's day, not even for another four generations, because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, we have here Dr. Brighton speaking in verse 16. While at first glance, it may seem strange that an angel should give a command to the exalted Lord Christ, the angel is no more than a messenger from God the Father. The command to begin the harvest comes from the Father, and the angel is merely relaying the command to the Lord Christ. The harvest and the judgment are executed by the exalted Christ because he won that right by his death and resurrection, but they are done under the authority of God the Father. And the Heavenly Father is the one who determines the exact hour or moment that it will be carried out. Jesus himself says that no one knows the day or the hour, not the angels, not even the son, but the father only. The angel comes out from the father's presence to say, okay, now is the time. Now reap the harvest of the earth. And so this brings out a second angel who also has a sharp sickle. As Isaiah says in chapter 63, verses four to six, for the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured the, out their lifeblood on the earth. So, what does the last day look like in Isaiah? It looks exactly like we have here in Revelation 14, as we'll get to in a moment. Cesarius of Arles says, If we must understand the reaper seated on the white cloud to be Christ himself, who is this vintager unless it is the self same only in his body, which is the church? Perhaps we would not be far wrong were we to understand those three angels who come out to represent the threefold sense of the scriptures, namely the historical, the moral, and the spiritual senses. The sickle would be the difference between them. So we have in Cesarius. The idea that there is the historical sense of the scriptures, because it gives us the story of God's people throughout the Old Testament, gives us the story of Jesus and the Gospels, gives us the story of the church in the first century through Acts and the epistles. The moral is the teaching aspect, the law portions of it saying, this is what is right, this is what is wrong. The spiritual aspects would be especially the gospel, the idea of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. The sickle then becomes the difference between them because it is those who want to take the Bible as just a historical textbook and that's all we need is just historical knowledge. They're going to be taken out. Those who want to just focus on the law and being good enough, they're going to be gone. The ones who follow in the spirit of Christ, they will be the ones who are gathered together, not for judgment, but for bliss. So in verse 18, another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called out with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. Joel has this in chapter 3, verse 13. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. John the baptizer says, In Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. We also have John talking about the axe being laid at the root of the trees, and Christ felling everything that does not bear fruit. This is also a picture of the harvest at the end. So in verse 19, the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the great harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Andrew of Caesarea says, The winepress of God is the place of torment prepared for the devil and his angels. Because of the multitude of those who are to be punished, it is great. For the way of destruction is wide and spacious. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. This great wine press of the wrath of God comes about because there is such great iniquity in the earth. Just like Abram was told that his descendants would not receive the land until the iniquity of the Amorites was complete, so also we as Christians will not receive the ultimate gift of life everlasting in heaven with body and soul, until the time that the iniquity is fully ripe in the earth. And apparently it is still, even at the end of 2023, not quite there yet. And to talk about this great wine press in verse 20, The wine press was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia. Dr. Brighton reminds us that in the Roman world, a stadion was a measure of distance equal to 625 Roman feet, which is about 607 English feet. So the distance of 1,600 stadia or furlongs would be about 184 miles. He goes on to say that while the grain harvest in verses 14 to 16 symbolizes the end gathering of both the people of God and the wicked. The vintage of the earth, in verses 17 through 20, emphasizes the gathering and judgment of the unbelievers, that is, those who worship the beast and its image, going back to verses 9 through 11 of this chapter from last week. The second angel, who gives the command to the angel with the sickle, is identified as the angel from the incense altar, who has authority over the fire, that is, the fire of the incense altar, the fire that causes the incense to smolder and its sweet smell to rise. This may be the same angel who in chapter 8 verses 3 through 5 stood before the incense altar with a censer of smoldering incense, which represented the prayers of the saints. That angel took the censer and filled it with the fire from the incense altar and then poured it out on the earth. Now speaking more about this harvest and the vintage, uh, the harvest of the vintage is completed and the judgment carried out when the winepress was trampled underfoot. This judgment and punishment of the worshipers of the beast and its image takes place outside the city. Most likely the city is Jerusalem, and thus to be identified symbolically with the holy city in chapter 11, verse 2. While the holy city was trampled underfoot by the pagan nations, now the pagan nations in turn are trampled underfoot in the winepress of God's fury and judgment. John would have remembered that it was outside the city where the judgment of God trampled underfoot, so to speak, his son when he suffered the judgment and punishment for the sins of the world. Isaiah saw in a vision of the day of God's vengeance and redemption one single person whose garments were red from treading alone the winepress of God's anger. So we have this in Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6. Who is this who comes from Edom, in crimson garments from Basra? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness mighty to save. Why is your apparel red, and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger, I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. We had a few of these verses earlier, but it is this picture of the end that Isaiah has in that day. Now we move to one of the minor prophets, and this one was actually one of the hardest to find a time where you have an allusion to him, and that would be the prophet Obadiah. But here we have This picture again, reading from Obadiah, verses 8 through 16. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off from slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day the strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. So Obadiah has these words for Edom, who as they rejoiced when Babylon took Judah away so also their days were numbered. They were going to be carried off. They were going to have the same calamities brought about on them. And all nations will have that. All who gloat over the people of God will find this to be the truth for them. All right, we get to the 1600 stadia. This would be roughly the distance between Tyre and and the Wadi of Egypt, which is truly 1,700 stadia or 200 miles. The distance from Dan to Beersheba in the Old Testament is about 1,260 furlongs or 145 English miles. So we've got this idea of 1,600 stadia being roughly the entire length of Palestine as the Israelites had it. We have a picture of this judgment again. Uh, coming to us from the book of First Enoch, chapter 100. Now will read it to you uh, briefly here. And in those days, in one place, the fathers together with their sons shall be smitten, and brothers one with another shall fall in death, till the streams flow with their blood. For a man shall not withhold his hand from slaying his sons and his sons' sons, and the sinner shall not withhold his hand from his honored brother. From dawn until sunset they shall slay one another. And the horse shall walk up to the breast and the blood of sinners, and the chariot shall be submerged to its height. In those days the angels shall descend into the secret places, and gather together into one place all those who brought down sin. And the Most High will arise on that day of judgment to execute great judgment amongst the sinners. And over all the righteous and holy he will appoint guardians from amongst the holy angels to guard them as the apple of his eye, until he makes an end of all wickedness and all sin. And though the righteous sleep a long sleep, they have not to fear. And then the children of the earth shall see the wise in security, and shall understand all the words of this book, and recognize that their riches shall not be able to save them in the overthrow of their sins. Woe to you sinners on the day of strong anguish, ye who afflict the righteous and burn them with fire. Ye shall be requited according to your works. Woe to you, ye obstinate of heart, who watch in order to devise wickedness. Therefore shall fear come upon you, and there shall be none to help you. Woe to you, ye sinners, on account of the words of your mouth, and on account of the deeds of your hands, which your godlessness has wrought. In blazing fires burning worse than fire shall ye burn. And now know ye that the angels he will inquire as to your deeds in heaven, from the sun and from the moon and from the stars in reference to your sins, because upon the earth ye execute judgment on the righteous. And he will summon to testify against you every cloud and midst and dew and rain, for they shall all be upheld because of you from descending upon you, and they shall be mindful of your sins. And now give presence to the rain, that it not be withheld from descending upon you, nor yet the dew, when it has received gold and silver that, from you, that it may descend. When the hoar frost and snow with their chilliness and all the snowstorms with all their plagues fall upon you, in those days ye shall not be able to stand before them. So here we have this picture in the book of 1 Enoch of the great wrath that is to be there. And having the picture of the horses walking up to their bridles and up to to their breast in blood. And all the things that are going to happen. But for the saints, for the holy ones, God has appointed from the holy angels to guard over them. To be their in support of them, which is their job as ministering spirits in the first place. So what happens in this great harvest, this great stomping out of the wine press? Evil is done away with. Evil is destroyed. And what is left is the joys of heaven, the joys that you and I look forward to as we await this day, not with glee and with excitedness But in the same way, Jesus looked forward to the cross, knowing that it must happen. But on the other side of that is the joy that awaits all who God finds faithful. All right, that is it for this week. I thank you for having listened to me today, but also throughout the year as we have gone through and have finished up this week the Book of Concord on Confessional Corner. Digging deeper, we will still be in Revelation for a few more months, so we have plenty there. Also, for those of you who follow along with Pro Wrestling America, Christmas Chaos was yesterday. We will have another great season coming up starting next Wednesday. Be here for all of that, but also all the rest of the content that is on this podcast here to strengthen you so that you may wrestle with the theology around you. Amen.